What happens when you have the diagnosis? After you find other people like you, what now? How do you treat a disorder that is not even recognized in the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Mental Disorders used in the country you live in? How do you navigate getting help when there are professionals who do not even know what complex post-traumatic stress disorder is? You have to get creative, that's for sure. This week, I continue my conversation with Benjamin Allen, the complex PTSD guy, and he shares the tools he uses to cope with his complex PTSD symptoms and what he has found helpful when making sense of enablers and abusers around him. Ben also shares his original poetry and how creativity has been instrumental for his healing. Hi, I am Raisa a survivor of narcissistic abuse, and I have complex post-traumatic stress disorder. And you are listening to Hello Trauma Brain, a podcast where I share my experiences living with complex PTSD. My hope is this podcast can help destigmatize mental health and provide support to anyone diagnosed with CPTSD who thinks they might have it or has a loved one with this diagnosis. Quick reminder, I am not a licensed psychologist or mental health care professional, and this podcast is not meant to replace nor substitute the care of psychologists, other mental or medical health care professionals. If you think you might have complex PTSD or PTSD, please reach out to your primary care or mental health care provider. Any individuals and resources mentioned in this episode are not sponsoring Hello Trauma Brain. The views, thoughts, and opinions expressed by this week's guest are solely their own and do not represent the views, thoughts, and opinions of Hello Trauma Brain and the host. This episode may reference abuse, trauma, and suicidal feelings or ideation, and listener discretion is advised. Remember, you can always pause or skip this episode at any time. And now, let's get back to the episode. Hello, dear survivors, and welcome to this episode of Hello, Trauma Brain. Thank you for joining me today. If you are listening on YouTube, a gentle reminder to hit the like button to let me know this episode was helpful quick check-in and it's gonna be really quick. Remember when I said last week that I really wanted a boring week? Not even 24 hours after I recorded that intro, I had something else happen and it's kind of been non-stop. So it has been anything but boring on my end and I just don't have the bandwidth to even talk about what happened. I am still processing what feels almost like just one slap in the face after another. It is really hard for me to talk about recent events, um, especially right now, because I am still at the stage of struggling to even process what's happening and the realizations I am making. And it has been a lot. So I have been very grateful that I have a good support system. And if you are listening, thank you. (laughs) 
thank you for listening to me and thank you for your time and your care and your love and for reminding me that I I'm still loved and I'm gonna I'm gonna survive this just like I have survived everything else what an end of the year honestly I'm so ready for the next year that's uh, assuming that (laughs) that life for some reason actually cares when it hits midnight on the 31st and it becomes the next year which realistically speaking doesn't life is going to continue to happen doesn't matter what day it is a girl can wish right so I'm going to keep on wishing and doing the work and using my tools And today, I am so excited to share with you part two of my conversation with Benjamin Allen, the complex PTSD guy. Last week in part one, Ben talked about his experience podcasting about having complex PTSD, going no contact with abusers, resuming contact with abusers, or with people he had to cut off for a time who were intertwined with the abusers, and how complex PTSD can impact relationships. And now, sit back and enjoy part two of my conversation with Benjamin Allen. I did want to ask you, Sai, you've received your diagnosis for a few years now, and I'm curious, what are the tools that you have found most helpful in treating your CPTSD symptoms up to that point, up to this point? Yeah, um, so I would have to say exercise is number one, a healthy diet, which we hear that all the time related to everything. Um, but exercise walking is really good for me because it clears my mind. I went for a walk just before we did this interview. Mm-hmm. Um, support groups, I, although I do tend to gravitate more towards online support groups, so maybe YouTube channels that have actual group chats um, versus local groups. And I think sometimes when I go to local groups, I get sort of, um, I think I get a little spooked by the commitment of it. Um, which I hate, I hate saying that, but the commitment of going back to support groups, because one of the groups I go to that I think of as a support group, and this has probably been the most therapeutic of all is a local poetry group. I'm a member of a local poetry and writing group. Mm -hmm. And I've written a play before, which was actually about how complex PTSD comes about. um, And we produced it, but I also have written poems in my poetry group and writing is so therapeutic like even if it's just something you keep to yourself and later um i'll read you a couple of poems related to complex ptsd and trauma and denial and neglect um and but writing is a big one um art i used to take art classes cooking is really huge because cooking is very mindful i've done podcasts about brunch and how brunch outside of maybe a dinner or a lunch or a breakfast I feel like brunch, you can have a lot of really fun things like waffles, pancakes. You could have a French toast. You could have sausage, bacon, jam, jelly. And you can be mindful with what you're eating and strawberries and fruit and whipped cream. Like you can be mindful with what you're eating and drinking, coffee, orange juice, milk, whatever. Um, And you can write out what you're tasting and what it feels like, what the food feels like um, as you chew it. And so mindfulness, you can do mindfulness with art. 
Um, I like to do it with eating because it helps me eat slower and enjoy and savor the food more, which makes me want to cook more because there's the aroma and everything. So there's also um, aromatherapy. So one of my jobs is massage therapy and I like using aromas like orange is good for depression. Um, eucalyptus is good for different things. Also deep breathing. Um, you know, that's always, that's something I need to do more is deep breathing. Um, and then also activities like chess. There's certain things like crossword puzzles, Sudoku, chess. The reason I mention those things in particular is they help develop your critical thinking and your strategy, strategy skills. Mm -hmm. So in regards to complex PTSD, if your brain is on high alert, way more than most kids' brains, the amygdala part of your brain is ringing like a little bell a lot and you're in fight or flight. But if you can sit down and learn to focus better and use things, you know, like playing chess as a strategy game. And for years in high school, grade school, I was bad at any kind of strategy. That's why I think I was never in a military history because military history is a lot of strategy. Um, and so the more I learn how to build my strategy skills, um, you know, chess is, a, I always go back to chess, um, but the easier ones are crossword puzzles, things that help develop your frontal lobe in your brain, help you focus better. Um, mindfulness is a big one. Like I said, the brunch stuff, walking, all of these things help with um, getting your brain to calm down and that helps you be less distracted. So those are key coping skills um, that I use. So, thank you, thank you for sharing those, Ben. And I, I'm gonna probably go on Amazon and get the orange essential oils for the depressions. I mm -hmm. first time I hear about that one, and I, I, I kind of have like that refrigerator bus depression that Patrick Tehan talks about, where like I'm just so used to being in that state that I don't realize it. So that's that's going on my shopping cart today. <laughs> and thank you. Thank you for sharing. Like, I, I, I want to everything you just said, like in my mind, is like, oh, that I, I need to try that. I need to do a little bit more of that. But the one thing that I want to highlight is with the support groups. I like how you have this way of doing it virtual because that's that's the groups that I've done, too. Like, I haven't been able to transition to in person yet. And for anyone listening, like if you when you're hearing Ben talking about the in-person meetings, like if that sounds daunting to you, I do invite you to check out a virtual group because I, I, I will second here that it's been helpful to me. And, and I think Ben is up to something when, when he's, when he's talking about that, because it, it reduces a little bit of the stakes too. And, you know, if, if you're in a zoom group and let's just say it's your first meeting and you're really not hitting it off, it's a lot easier to just hit the end button on the screen or close off your computer or your device and walk away as opposed to actually getting up the chair and like seeing everybody seeing you walk out of the room. Like it just, it reduces a little bit of that pressure. So if you've been struggling, I, I think that's a, that's a good way to transition if you're thinking about it. And I have to say like the mindfulness, Ben, what a, you're so right about it. And I, I feel like for me, like being present in my body and like realizing like what's happening in my body is such a challenge. And I, I love that you're suggesting the mindfulness because that's like mindfulness is being present. You kind of, your mind can't really live too much in the present, sorry, on, on the past or the future. If you're 
preparing a brunch and really thinking about the aromas that are that you're cooking with and you know you got to put out the jelly now and and oh the jar feels cold and and having that mindfulness awareness there thank you so much that's just so helpful yeah and, and then um i was also going to mention before yeah. i forget um something that i really want to stress to your listeners mm -hmm. and this is something that um happened not long after the event when I had, um, which I call the event, when I had my metaphorical blindfold removed. Um, two people, one was a friend and one was the person who also wanted the victim to get away from the attacker. So two people who did not know one another. Um, when I was talking to them about the response where people were saying, for the, that victim to stay with her, the attacker who put her in the emergency room, these two people who did not know one another use the same exact word mm -hmm. to describe the people who were wanting that victim to stay with the attacker. And they use the word sick, S-I-C-K. And they, they both said, these are two people who do not know one another again, I'm stressing. And I, I talked to either of them on the phone, I think it was the same day. And I said, can you believe that they want this person to stay with the person who's got put them in the emergency room? Mm. And they both said, Ben, they're, they're sick. They're not well. If they're saying something like that, mm. they're off, they're sick. And I was like, I was like, what do you mean sick? And they're like, they're sick. They're not mentally well. Mm. And I was like, Oh, like, like I was so oblivious to what they even meant because again, when you grow up with it mm -hmm. and it's an enabler and they're saying something like that. So I go back to that movie burning bed with Farrah Fawcett. It would be like the guy's mother saying, well, she should stay with my son because he's a provider. Somebody would say, Ben, that woman is sick. If she's mm -hmm. saying that there's something wrong with her. Mm -hmm. And so that's what I want your listeners to really know is a lot of times your abuser and even the enabler can very well not be mentally well. And your listeners might be thinking, well, of course they're not mentally well, but that word sick is really important to know there's something wrong with them. Mm. Um, so I just want to, I just wanted to make sure I stress that um, before I forgot to, to, you know, stress it. So, yeah. Yeah. Th thank you. Thank you, Ben. And it's, I think what I what I want to highlight and the two cents I want to throw into the pile here is like it just reminds me of when I hear Patrick Tehan calling um, talking about how half safe people are not safe either, and I think that's part of it too. Like the, I think that's what makes it with the enablers like even more painful sometimes because they're not in like they might not necessarily sometimes they might be uh, these roles can 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 be interchangeable but sometimes some of the enablers they're not directly abusing in a in a obvious way but even the mindset of justifying the abuse and just stay there and that that can be harmful too and and i think you you bring up a good point like in terms of that's that's also something that can be playing a role and it it really highlights what's going on with them too and and thank you for adding that um I did, uh, be, as we were wrapping up the conversation, uh, Ben, I did want to make sure to ask you a question that I want to want to make a, a usual question when I do interviews in the future. And it is this, it is, if you could use a time machine to visit a younger version of yourself going through a really difficult time, 
what would you tell younger Ben? Yeah, so so there's actually two people who were in my teen years and my 20s who were people who did give me advice. So it's similar to some of the things that they said. One of them was a math teacher in high school um, who always used to point out something's wrong with your your household. Something's wrong with the people raising you. Um, and then another person was a therapist. When I was really depressed one night, I called basically it was a suicide hotline and I, I think I was like 25 or 26 mm -hmm. and my abuser who's very manipulative my abuser was using a tactic on me and they were basically um they were basically guilt tripping me I'll just put mm -hmm. it that way and they were using something against me that I didn't know how to even respond to And it made me feel, I and I believe them. And this person, this therapist said, um, well, that doesn't make any sense. And they were like, you know, you see that, right? That what they're, what this abusive person is saying doesn't make any sense. And they're clearly lying to you. Hmm. And I just couldn't see it. So anyway, the advice I would give myself is I would say, Ben, there's clearly something wrong with the environment you are being raised in. Um, this is something, again, my math teacher did when I was in high school. The math teacher used to also say there is deep, deep denial going on in my environment. So that's something I, again, would say to myself, there's deep denial, deep, it's huge. Mm -hmm. Um, and I truly didn't understand the depths of what she was getting at the math teacher, but she was right. And it helps to have somebody say that, by the way. Um, mm -hmm. I also had another person an older relative, this is the person whose funeral I, I couldn't miss. Um, and she once said to me um, that my primary abuser, who again, that's how I refer to them, primary abuser, she said that that person scares them. And so for her to say that, and she knew this primary abuser very intricately or intimately, for her to say that, um, and she even implied one time, Or she said something along the lines of, well, you have to know there's something wrong with this person, my abuser. She said she said it so adamantly. She's like, well, you have to know there's something wrong with them, don't you? Like, almost like, are you clueless? Are you oblivious? Mm -hmm. Yeah, because when you grow up in it, you don't, you don't really know. Like, you're growing up in it. No one's removing you from DCFS. You know, it's like you're there. Um, so, you know, for her to think I... For her to say it in a way where it was like, don't you see this? I was like, no. Like, it's, <laughs> you know, it's like, no. <laughs> yeah. But um, I would also encourage myself, if I could go back in a time machine, I would encourage myself to get out and join a team or a club or a group and mm -hmm. socialize more as a teenager. Um, it would have helped me pass the time and get away from my environment. And that could have really helped me be more functional as a young adult. Uh, so mm -hmm. I would definitely advise myself to do that. I was in computer club. So this was in the late 90s. Um, I was in computer club. I don't even know what they would call that now. But um, we just played video games the whole time and talked about computers. Um, so I was in that and that was fun. And it probably helped me a lot more than I even realized because I think it was like every Thursday we'd meet at six o'clock until like 730. And it was just fun. It was a way to get away. So that probably helped more than I even know. Um, And that was when I was a junior and senior. Um, 
I would also let my younger self know that the people who were raising me are sick. So, and that's that word sick again. Mm -hmm. Um, I always think, and I might've already mentioned this, but I think of the show hoarders. So I know I've talked to you about this, but I don't know mm -hmm. if I mentioned it on this show, but, um, hoarding is a real mental illness. And that's probably the only show I've ever seen that really showed what complex PTSD can come from where it can come from because the kids that are growing up in those homes are so uh they're so neglected and it's so abusive emotionally abusive just terrible to where the, a lot of times those kids they just aren't going to have skills to even know how to even have a birthday party i mean how to even have a friend over because they don't have anybody over like I, when i was growing up um per particularly once i got to like maybe the age of 10, all the way through high school, nobody ever came over. Like there was never any friends of adults or us because the house was so dysfunctional and the abuser didn't want anybody over there. And so that show Hoarders was very relatable because nobody ever goes over because it's so gross in the house. Um, but it's that long-term trauma. And a lot of times, again, on that show Hoarders, the kids don't talk to their parents when they become adults because it was so... It was just so damaging. Mm. Um, and finally, I would tell myself if I could go back in a time machine, how to study better in school. So with my own complex PTSD, that stress that was on me as a child, that fear and that worry and the stress, it was so distracting. I had horrible grades in grade school and high school. I just could not focus. Um, and I didn't learn how to focus better until I was in college and I took a class called College Success Skills. And it basically taught you how to take better notes, how to read books differently, how to study certain subject matters in a different way. Um, and I got like really good grades after I took that class. So I would tell my younger self um, to how to study better in school. And I would tell them to start going after a career and pursuing and engaging with things to get to that career when you're in high school. And I would also tell them to study for their SATs starting when you're 14 or 15. Mm -hmm. um, so that learning curve was a big deal in regards to my own complex PTSD. So that's what I would tell myself for those things. Thank you. Thank you so much, Ben. That's, I, I really love what you're sharing here. And I, I want to, I want to do one thing because as I was hearing like what you heard from, from your, uh, from the one teacher and, you know, and you describe that experience of like, you know, they're asking you this question because to them it's so obvious, but to you, it didn't feel like it back then. I, I just want to validate for a moment, like, it makes so much sense to me why you didn't see it. And quite frankly, I, you know, when I was when I was younger, I wasn't seeing it either. I would have been as just as as clueless as to what they were referring to. And I just I just want to just for a second, give you like the normal reaction, like, of course, you didn't see it. How could you? And another thing that I want to like, as you were saying, talking about the holder show, and, and that was that was the first time you referenced it here, by the way. <laughs> so you're all good. Um, I often I've heard Dr. Ramani uh, Durvasola talk about like the concept of if people could see on survivors of emotional and psychological abuse, like the actual scars, like if the scars showed up like it would or they would on a person getting physically abused, people would be calling 911 all the time, just seeing somebody across the street just all the time. And 
I thought about that as you were talking about the horror show, because if you go into a horror house, it's so in your face. Like you, you can't rebut the fact that when you come in into this house, it's just chaos. And for for anyone listening, you know, those of us that, you know, if if it wasn't that visible, if it wasn't in your face like that, like, can you imagine if like if your house could look like a hoarding house? people would finally understand it. Sometimes people don't even understand at that point, like that, that happens too. But just, just thinking like how holders is almost like putting the, the physical scars and wounds on someone who's getting abused in a, in a more nuanced or subtle way and, and how powerful that image is. And quite frankly, like, I feel like I need to watch the show now. <laughs> part of me is kind of, I've heard you talk about it before, but a part of me is like, I think I'm going to be very triggered watching that show but um but yeah i i want to say thank you for for sharing that so vulnerably uh ben i have uh, just a few more things uh as we as we're coming to an end here i did want to offer you the opportunity to ask me any questions if you would like to at this time yeah what um what are like the most common questions you get from your listeners i'm so curious what listeners are wanting to hear about what the what the main thing a lot of listeners with complex PTSD, what specific types of trauma are they coming from? I'm very curious what your what kind of feedback you've gotten. Yeah, that's such a such a good question. And I I'll premise that my podcast has not been around as long as your as yours has been. Uh, so far, the things that I have uh, I have to say I've been fortunate enough that I've been receiving some very encouraging feedback where uh, survivals will reach out and, and share how it was impactful, how it's helping them, how um, how they're relating to the content. One, if I had to pick like the two top questions, one of them, maybe three, I would say, one of them being about my experience going no contact with some of my abusers and how that has been and how I arrived to that process. The other question I've gotten is what type of self-care I engage in as I, as I navigate uh, some some really deep healing and, and some painful, you know, realizations through this process. And I say the third one, and it's actually funny. So I asked, I asked you this during our interview is like, how did I, how did I even come to the idea of starting a podcast? And it's, I guess I can briefly answer the, the last one. Um, and, and recent being, I, I just did an episode on the no contact. So if anyone wants to know my thoughts on the matter on that, I, I will refer you all to listen to last week's episode called no contact. Um, and a lot of the self-care that you shared, I, I'm going to second it there, but in terms of how I came around podcasting was, People suggested it. I, when I was leading support group meetings, some of the survivors would would say, "Why don't you just start a podcast?" And back then, I didn't feel like I had the skills to do this, or the voice, or the, I don't know. I didn't feel like I was, <laughs> I was a podcaster in any way. But it was interesting because that's actually how I found your podcast. I I started doing research uh, last year. Uh, almost a year ago, actually, about podcasting, because one of the things I, I was trying to figure out was, is this out there? Because if people are already doing this, like, you know, 100 people, then I don't know that my voice is going to add anything to the content. But I came across your podcast, and I found it very relatable. And I felt the calling. And I discovered your podcast around the time uh, last year when you were considering not doing it anymore. 
And I remember you announcing like right as I found it, like, okay, I think my last episodes are coming up. And uh, for those of you listening, spoiler alert, Ben didn't finish his po podcast. It's still going. He decided to continue it. But I didn't know that back then. <laughs> and I remember thinking, oh, wait, like the one podcast I found that's the closest to its ending. I guess I have to do this. <laughs> and the funny thing is you kept going anyway. But I... I, I will echo what you said earlier, which is there's not a lot of voices coming from the survivor's perspective. A lot of the content, you know, A, there's not a lot of content, period. And the little content out there, a lot of it is from the experts' point of view, how they're just starting to recognize the uh, complex PTSD. I mean, it's not even on the DSM right now. It's, it's only in the international manual and what they're discovering in the research. And there's not a lot of voices from us, the peeps that have it and are living with it right now. And, you know, the research might not be caught up, but we're living with it right now. Like, I, it's just something that I that I wanted to share my experience. And and yeah, I uh, I do want to ask you before we we have you read your poems, how can our listeners find you and support your content? Yeah, so my my podcast is called The Complex PTSD Guy, and it originally was on Anchor, the Anchor app, and then it all kind of morphed over to Spotify. So um, I actually, ironically, I don't listen to podcasts. <laughs> okay. um, yeah, I, I created one because, again, I, I felt like there wasn't anything out there. Um, and it, the anchor app made it so easy to create a podcast. Um, they have people you can email and they help you. And, um, so I just did it. That's how I did it. Like I just did it from my phone and, um, I just thought it was a lot of fun because again, it's like a diary. And since my background, I got my bachelor's in history. Mm -hmm. The main thing that you learn in history, I shouldn't say the main thing, but one of the big things is primary resources. So, if you're studying history, if you can find a diary, that's, that's like one of the best resources you can find. Like if you were to find, you know, somebody from the 1700s and their diary, you're getting a day-to-day -day thought of what was really going on in their world. Mm -hmm. And so for me, that's what my podcast is. It's like a diary that people can listen to. And it's, it's a real life thing. Um, that's that you're looking at. It's not, a therapist book with somebody with a PhD who's writing about clients or what they've come across from studying complex PTSD at somebody who has it, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, I think that's, that's such an important thing to offer that account of what does it feel like to live with complex PTSD? Like how it changes day by day. Like even in your podcast, one thing that I found so relatable is you'll log on, for an episode one day and you will log on again in the evening and like update us on something that just happened. And it, it really feels like you're like, we're, we're coming on this journey with you as you're, as you're navigating, learning more and, and living with complex PTSD. And, and thank you for the work that you're doing. So I think it's so needed and voices like yours are, are really important, especially now. And I want to transition into having you read, uh, 
some of your poetry and uh, just for anyone listening, I've, I've gotten the pleasure of listening to some of Ben's poetry that he's shared in the podcast. So you're in for a treat. And uh, before I forget I about the Ben's podcast, I will be linking it to the show notes. So you'll be able to find the link there so you can uh, so you can listen to Ben's content as well. But Ben, I I'm thrilled to have you read your poetry. You can go ahead. Yeah. So I, I want to make sure I give a little bit of a foundation on so these aren't haikus. Um, this is also, you might say, a little bit of a non-traditional poetry, and it doesn't always rhyme. And the way that these three poems are done that I've written, um, I wrote these in 2018, and we did a poetry reading in public with them, um, some of the some people I knew. And they're almost like a little bit of a... Um, an Aesop's fable in a sense, because there's characters in them. Sometimes there's bunny rabbits, there's trees, there's birds, there's fish, um, there's leaves. So I just wanted to put a little bit of a foundation. Um, and all, one of these is regarding neglect. One of them is regarding denial. And one of them, which is probably the most, the deepest and most powerful one. Um, and it'll be the last one I read. That one is about, what it's like to suffer under narcissism or gaslighting or a crazy maker or someone who invalidates you. So um, I'll go ahead and start out. The first one is titled um, The Rotting Fruit Trees. Neglect is sometimes well disguised. Muse, look at those fruit trees. Have you noticed how their fruit is rotting? Yes, boy, I have noticed, yet I see no reason for it for no stranger has been poisoning them. Muse, I always see the owners are neighbors taking care of the trees. They water them. They get plenty of sun and the land is good. Yes, boy, I have noticed these things as well. They seem to be well provided for. The neighbors are always waving. They smile as passersby observe them. Muse, the arborist said there is no bug. No disease in the area, and the trees are properly pruned. The trees are only 15 years old. They should be healthy. Yes, boy, but something else is the root of this imbalance. For a seed is meant to flourish, to grow, to shine, and thrive. Muse, if it isn't the soil, a bug, a disease, no poison from a stranger, and the arborist has no explanation, what do you think is the cause? Well, boy, from my own life experience, I would have to say there is some type of neglect occurring, a neglect that we just can't see. A neglect? But muse, from where is the neglect coming from? Boy, maybe we don't know our neighbors as well as we think we do, for look at the fruit they bear. So that is about child neglect. That's what that's about. You can't always see it. Um, it's hidden behind closed doors. That's what the trees represented. So this next one is titled The Purple Leaves. This one's about, I would say, a parent, a lot of time an enabler who's in denial of things. They will create a world that is so strange to their child. So that's what this is about. The Purple Leaves. A reflection on the effects of denial. Mother, look at the beauty, the beauty of the green and the leaves. Green? Why, son, those leaves aren't green. 
for don't you see clearly, my son, the leaves are purple. But mother, they look green to me. Aren't they green leaves, mother? Son, those leaves are purple, and people will think you are silly for saying they look green. 20 years later. Good friend, my mother always liked the purple, the deep purple of the leaves on the trees. What is that, my friend? What leaves in front of us are purple? For the leaves are green, my friend. But the leaves, all the leaves are purple. My mother always said the leaves are purple. Are they truly green, my friend? They're green? But of course, my friend, they've always been green. Has no one ever told you this before? No, never, my friend. So that is denial where the kid grows up to believe it. Mm -hmm. And this last one is titled The Sword and the Fog. So this is this is the one I say is my deepest. And if you're living under an abuser to where they are making you crazy, it could even just be like an emotional abuse crazy maker type thing. Um, you may relate to this. The Sword and the Fog. Just look over the hillside. Young man, why do you fight with that sword? You cannot stab or hurt the fog with a sword. Carrier pigeon, I hear you, but I must defend myself from those who seek to get the best of me. I believe the sword will penetrate the fog if I just focus enough. Young man, it's pointless to fight such people. That's why it's a fog you're surrounded by. It's a cloud they've created to confuse you and wear you out. I hear you, Carrier Pigeon, but these characters are too malevolent to ignore. They are the crazy maker, the narcissist, the gaslighter, and those who invalidate others. Young man, that sword you carry is a sword of anger. You must jam it into the ground and look over the hillside. Carrier Pigeon, I'll put down my sword, but just this once and only because I trust you. Young man, what is it you see when you look over the hillside? Carrier pigeon, there is no fog here, and I can see my interests, the things that meant so much to me that I had forgotten about. Young man, those interests are you. Now run to them and don't look back. So, those are my poems and the they're all again they're not rhymy they're not haikus either these are almost short stories but they're written as poems so in the world of poetry there's a lot of different types of poetry so thank you thank you so much brenda it's beautiful i i almost need like a moment to like take those in and for anyone listening if you need a second <laughs> i'm gonna take a deep breath here just to let those sink in because Ah, yeah, it, I feel like the meat of it is like, I'm not really thinking, oh, that doesn't rhyme. Like it's the meat of it is in the meaning that it's in the poem, like how relatable it becomes. And thank you again for, for sharing this beautiful form of, of art, Ben. I think it's so important for us when we're healing to use our creativity. Like when you said like your interests are you, like that part of the poem is just like, yes. And mm -hmm. I feel like for you, the poetry and even podcasting, I don't know if you if you thought about podcasting in this way. I didn't until somebody uh, somebody brought this up to me. Um, somebody said to me, podcasting is creativity. And I was like, oh, shit, you're right. Like, 
just like the concept of like coming up with an episode and and like it absolutely is creativity too and i i find it so healing so thank you thank you so much again ben it's it's been such a great conversation i'm thrilled that you've accepted and and actually you reached out to me for for this for this conversation i'm so so glad you did and i'm just I hope everyone that you found this interview helpful. And again, I will be linking the complex PTSD guy, which is Ben's podcast to the show notes. And I hope to talk to you again soon, Ben. Yeah, I'd, I'd love to come back again in, you know, six months or whenever and see how things are going. So absolutely. Thank you so thank much you. again. Yeah, thank you. Ben, I want to extend to you the invitation in Hello Trauma Brain. I like offering healing invitations to our listeners. Do you have any healing invitations for anyone listening who is currently navigating a difficult holiday season with toxic people? Yeah. So one thing about me, and I think that this relates well to complex PTSD and being distracted, is I'm a very visual person. I need visual reminders. So one thing I would invite your listeners to do is to buy maybe a bracelet um, or a necklace or a pin, like a, a little pin that you can pin on your shirt or even wear, you know, uh, a certain type of a, a clothing that could mean something like a pair of socks or something. Mm-hmm. Um, but the reason I mention this is, and what I invite you to do, and this is something I did myself just recently is I bought a bracelet that's a sobriety bracelet. And I literally looked it up, men's sobriety bracelets. And on my bracelet, it says in Morse code, like dots and lines, dot, 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 line, line, line. Um, Mm -hmm. It says one day at a time. So it's a bracelet that says one day at a time. Um, And I just Googled, you know, sobriety bracelets, and this is what popped up. So I bought it. Um, So when I went on my trip just last month for the holidays, I wore this um, and every time I would look down, I would think take things one day at a time. So for example, if you're still with, you know, around your abuser or anything, your bracelet could be a reminder of expect what's probably coming, but know that you've gotten through it before and you can get through it again. Um, So it's just a visual reminder because I think a lot of times when you're in those crazy environments like that, you need a visual, you need something that you can see and grasp onto. I'm this way, even with my exercise equipment, I have my exercise equipment out like in the living room where I can see it. So I use it. And I'm the same way with like the game of chess or a crossword puzzle. They're out where I see them. They're not put up in a closet somewhere or hiding under a bed. I have to have those visual reminders or I will get distracted and forget. So, and I think with a complex PTSD brain, that's, sort of the heart of it is stress and distractions and all the lingering. Um, so if there's something positive that you can have as a visual, I just use a bracelet is what I use. So again, it's a sobriety bracelet that says one day at a time, but it says it in Morse code. So only I know it unless I share with somebody what the Morse code message on it is. So Thank you for sharing that, Ben. And I, I'm loving that invitation. Uh, I will be personally uh, accepting it. I, I like 
the subtlety of, you know, it doesn't have to be something obvious that everybody sees it and knows what it means. Like as long as you know what it means, it has, it can have that purpose. And I, I, I love that. And thank you so much for, for sharing that. And anyone, if you want to accept this invitation and try it out, let, do let me know how it goes. And I can, I can let Ben know if this was helpful to you as well. Before we wrap up this episode, all music and production is courtesy of yours truly. Also, I want to share a few ways you can support this podcast. You can subscribe and leave a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or the platform you are using to listen. Share this episode with anyone you think can benefit from this content. Follow Hello Trauma Brain on Instagram. Subscribe to the Hello Trauma Brain YouTube channel and hit the notification bell to be the first to know when I post a new episode. And you can make a donation by getting me a coffee through the official bio site. No worries, all links will be provided in the show notes. Thank you for joining me and Ben today. I hope you found this episode helpful. I wish you the best as you look for visual reminders to help you stay on track as you continue to heal. It is time for our farewell affirmations. You are welcome to repeat after me. I am enough. I am lovable. And I deserve to heal. I wish you a gentle week and thank you for listening.